And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Gabrielle Stone, director and award-winning actress who followed in the footsteps of her parents, legendary scream queen Dee Wallace and the late Christopher Stone. After a shocking revelation in her personal life in 2017, she went on a solo journey to Europe where she discovered how to heal and love herself. Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, Gabrielle, I was checking out your super popular TikTok account. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I found a video of an orb, and it's one of the most amazing orb videos that I've ever seen. Can you Thank tell us about you. that video? Yes. Um, first of all, I absolutely hate the trolls on TikTok because mm. the second I posted that, so many people in the comments were saying, oh, that's not an orb. That's a lens flare. I was like, mm. guys, let me let me have my moment believing that this was a spiritual experience, which I really do. So I was in Italy, specifically Positano, um, on Amalfi Coast, and we went to this restaurant where they pick you up uh, from your hotel because it's such a drive to get there. It's at like the top of the cliffs, and it's a family-owned spot. So you go and you pay, you know, fifty euro, and you, they just feed you. You don't look at a menu. It's mm -hmm. do you want red wine, white wine? That's it. That's awesome. And we went, and the the man who was kind of hosting everything running the front of the house came over and started chatting with uh, my fiance and I, and he ended up telling us about his experience where he lost his wife uh, at a very young age. They had just had their second child. And I think she was 23 at the time and he was 27 and she was driving on the cliffs of Positano and a big semi truck came in and smashed basically her car into the cliff. And it was a really horrible accident that took her life. And just explaining to us that he never really fully recovered from that loss. And he felt like that was his soulmate. Uh, I in turn ended up telling him that I lost my dad when I was young, which I know we'll get into later in the episode. And so we kind of just had this connection of losing people in our life that were really important to us. Later on in the dinner, they had these two musicians come up and started playing um, music for everybody to dance to. And he grabbed me from the table and went out and we started dancing. And my fiance picked up his phone and started filming it. And it was this like really sweet, beautiful moment. And I came and sat down and he showed me the video and said, you have to look at this. And there is this orb in the video and it's right above us the entire time we're dancing. And then he pans over to, to look at like the rest of the scene and the orb literally follows where we are. And it, it really looked like it was dancing with us. And I showed him uh, the video before we left. And I said, I feel like this was our loved ones kind of letting us know that they were here and that they were dancing with us tonight. Yeah, that's great. Um, have you ever had experiences with orbs before? I have. Everywhere I travel, I'm I'm a big travel person. Um, obviously, on my my life changing Europe trip that I took, uh, and then the uh, few years after that, I did a solo journey to Southeast Asia, and I have lots of photos from every location I've been at where they're very obvious and prominent. Um, and I'm in the the mindset of why would you not believe that those are your loved ones? Like, why would you try and convince yourself that that's a sun reflection or a lens flare? And to me, they're very obvious when they're there um, in the placement of the photo. They look different than a normal lens flare would. So I'm always leaning into like, of course, take that as a sign. There's so many times in life where we will disregard signs um, because our brains are like, oh, well, that doesn't make sense. And that's not the norm. Uh, and I'm in the mindset to believe that we should always lean into the magical and the supernatural. I know we're going to talk about it later, but do you think that it's possible that it's your father still around? I totally do. Um, and so after my dad passed, we, my mom and I, decided to plant a tree um, the first Father's Day that he wasn't there in our backyard. That tree is now massive, mm. um, you know, 
25 some years later. And when we planted that tree, the first night an owl came and sat in that tree. And for a couple months, we would hear him every night. And I was seven years old at the time. And owls became a very prominent thing in my life. I started collecting them as a little girl and that kind of became my sign from my dad. Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you the amount of weird experiences I have had with owls. Um, from when my mom and I traveled to South Africa, um, we were doing this safari and they had a library that was downstairs at the, the location that we were at. And I walked down there by myself one day and in broad daylight, right in the windowsill on the tree, right outside was this little owl that was sitting there. And I was like, well, this is weird because they're nocturnal and it's broad daylight. Um, and I went up and told my mom, I went back probably eight hours later, still sitting there hanging out. Um, weird stuff like that. I've had owls fly across the hood of my car, um, like driving randomly. Um, they're, they're always there. Even on this trip, um, this last trip that I just got back from, I went to Italy where I got engaged and it was a very kind of special trip for me. I can't tell you, it was almost a joke between my fiance and I, it was like everywhere we looked, there were owls and not just like owls being sold at all the shops, which there were, but like people would walk by with giant tattoos of them and like absolutely everywhere they were popping up. And I always have felt like that's kind of a reassuring sign from my dad. It's, it it gets to a point where it's too, there's too many of them to be like, no, this is just, it's just because you're looking for them at this point. It's just happenstance. Like I have to believe that there's, there's more value in it than that. I kind of feel like either your father or the universe is telling you this is the right guy. Totally. Totally. Cause there were no owls when I was dating my exes. I can tell you that. (laughs) All right. Well, I mentioned in the beginning about this revelation. So can we start with what happened that led you into this dark night of the soul? Yes. So I was married for almost two years and I found out that my husband at the time was having an affair with a 19 year old for six months. At the time, it was incredibly shocking. Nobody saw it coming. Uh, It was like the rug had been pulled out from under me and I filed for divorce left. And shortly after that, another man came into my life and we fell madly in love with each other. He was a pretty well-known actor, uh, from Argentina. And we just had this passionate kind of zero to 100 love affair that took place. And he invited me to join him on a month long trip to Italy We were together for a month and a half and it was like this amazing relationship. I was meeting his friends and family. Everyone was like, we've never seen him like this. This is like, this is it. We were planning years down the road already. And I decided I was going to go to Italy with him. Um, And speaking of signs, you know, of course, when he, he asked me to go on this trip, I was like, you're absolutely crazy, but also when are you going? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And he said, September 4th, which would have been my two year wedding anniversary. And I said, okay, when are you coming home? And he said, October 4th, which is my late father's birthday. So I was like, all right, universe, I hear you. I'm, I'm going on the trip. 48 hours before we were getting on the plane, he told me he needed to go by himself and broke up with me. And I was absolutely devastated. Like this man broke my heart. Like my ex-husband never could have done. And in that moment I had a decision to make, and that was either stay at home heartbroken or go travel Europe for a month by myself. And my bags were packed. So I, I took a backpack and I did six countries over the span of a month. And I wrote my book, eat, pray, FML about it. And it has since completely changed my entire life. So during that vacation, if, if that's what you would call it. Right. Uh, <laughs> Soul journey. <laughs> was it more like a healing journey for you? And if so, how were you healing? Like in what way? Was it by writing? Yeah. So, oh God, there was so much healing on that trip. I guess the best way to answer that is to kind of backtrack. I'm a huge believer in everything happens for a reason, not in the toxic, 
you know, it's all great and sunshine, but I do believe that all the experiences we have in this life are going to happen to you and either cause you to grow as a human or there will be a reason revealed to you in the future. And my life has been a blueprint of that um, to a T. So when I found out I was going to be taking this trip solo, as heartbroken and devastated as I was, I knew that it was happening for a reason. So since I was a little girl, when I lost my father, I have always had a fear of abandonment because in losing my father at that young of an age, I developed a subconscious belief of when I love someone, they die. Um, That belief was then reinforced when I lost my high school sweetheart at 18 in a car accident. And again, that was when I love someone, they die and fear of abandonment. So when I found out I was going alone, it made so much sense because I had always had this fear of abandonment that turned into never wanting to be alone, always being in a relationship, always having people around me. And the universe was like, all right, Gabrielle, actually, we're going to go face that head on uh, across the world alone. And you're going to figure out how to be by yourself and how to love yourself. So the journey really, while of course there were you know, nights out and partying and some debauchery that ensued. Um, it really was like this soul journey for me of trying to figure out what is self-love? How do I do that? You know, it's always been this mythical thing to me where people are like, you have to learn how to love yourself before you can love anyone else. And loving yourself is the most important thing. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm ready to do that. Can anyone teach me how? And give me the manual. And nobody had a clear way of like, this is how you give yourself self-love. And this is how you learn how to love yourself. So the the journey really became about finding that for me, about learning how to be by myself and how to be okay by myself and to heal some of that fear of abandonment. And the therapy for me really came through writing. So every day I would write for hours. Um, I mean, I wrote three-fourths of my book in the journal on that trip. Um, so it really was, you know, like this actual therapy that I was physically writing out of my body. You mentioned the belief that if you love somebody there, they would die. And I had your mother on and we had a almost hour long discussion of limiting beliefs. Yep. Was she aware of that belief? And I'm curious if she was because the wise sage that she is, she would have had some words for you about why are you believing that limiting belief? Yeah. So uh, obviously I grew up in a house with my mother Mm -hmm. uh, who is a incredible healer and which is a blessing and a curse because you can, you know, find out so much incredible information about yourself, but you also can't get away with anything. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't just call to complain about something. It's like, well, what in you is bringing that up and attracting that? Um, but you can look at at my life and it really makes sense. So I had this subconscious limiting belief of when I love someone, they die, or when I love someone, they leave, and mm-hmm. the fear of abandonment. Right. So because I had that fear of abandonment belief, I started attracting men that were going to prove my belief accurate. So I attracted my ex-husband who abandoned me in the most heinous way possible by cheating and stepping out on our marriage and lying. And then the universe was like, okay, Gabrielle, are we ready to, are we ready to heal this? And I was like, no, no, I'm good. I'm going to, I'm going to go this way. We're, we're, we're fine. I don't want to get into that right now. And so then I attracted a man who quite literally abandoned me 48 hours before we were getting on a plane, which he invited me on. And the universe was like, okay, are we ready now? I was like, oh, fine, I guess we'll, we'll face this. Um, And it's really not until you A, recognize those beliefs, B, decide to fix and heal them, that you can start attracting something different in the future. So many times, you know, I get people that read my book and and send me messages or like, well, I just have the worst luck. I keep attracting these men that are cheating on me, or I keep attracting these people that don't value me and don't, you know, treat me the right way. And 
Not that anyone deserves that because they don't, but you have to take responsibility and point the finger inside and say, okay, what in me is attracting this into my life? Like what lesson am I not learning? What belief am I still carrying that's not allowing me to attract the good, healthy people into my life? Um, so that was a very long-winded answer to say she was aware of it we, <laughs> and I was aware of it. We had always talked about the fact that his death, you know, created this, this fear in me and this belief. Um, but sometimes it's not enough to know the belief. Sometimes you really have to have it shoved in your face and go through the experiences to really be like, okay, this is my big thing in life that I was put on this planet to heal and to understand. Um, and really be conscious of like, okay, now it's time to to dig in and do the work. I don't, I don't think I was ready before um, to really see it and to really tackle it in the way that it needed to be tackled. During the writing of both of your last books, have mm-hmm. you ever discovered any other limiting beliefs that people have about relationships? Oh my God, so many. So um in both the books. So Eat, Pray, FML is the the first book I wrote that the one that really like blew up and became a worldwide bestseller. And that goes from me finding out about the affair uh, through the love affair all the way through the Europe trip. So that book ends when I come home from Europe. And then the sequel, which I never thought I was going to write until my readers lovingly started berating me saying, we have to know what happened after Europe. You have to write a sequel. Um, The sequel spans the next two years of my life. So throughout both the books, there's a technique that I, I came up with and use called the thought onion. And what that is, it's, it's a way for you to look at your thoughts and look at your reactions that you have and kind of analyze them to see what's at the root. And usually when you get to the root, that's a subconscious belief or a limiting belief. So you look at it like an onion. (laughs) Um, And the first layer is the superficial thought. That's your like knee jerk reaction before you kind of even have a minute to think about why am I having this reaction? Like your immediate superficial reaction. And it's often superficial. Um, You take a minute and you peel that layer back and you get to the authentic thought. The authentic thought is usually the ouch spot that's inside of you that's causing that initial reaction in the first place. Um, usually it's it's a little bit of, you know, okay, this is the pain spot that's causing that. And then when you peel that back and you get to the layer underneath that, that's usually where the golden nuggets are. And that's usually a long stemming subconscious belief, um, something that's been with you for many years from a past trauma. And when you can get to that and realize what that is and start to address and heal it, you can then start to have different reactions in the future. So one of the reasons so many people get so much out of these books is because yes, it feels like you're reading a fun Netflix show and you're going on this crazy journey with me, but I'm also constantly doing these thought onions and like really getting introspective about why is this happening and why did this, you know, come up in my life? So through watching me do all of these thought onions and get to all of my own subconscious and limiting beliefs, other people are like, Oh, I resonate with that. Oh, that totally makes sense for me in my life. Like, oh, that makes me realize A, B, and C. So it, they really are very sneaky self-help books because Mm -hmm. they don't at all feel like it, but you'll end up going on a wild healing journey yourself by reading them. You know, you also have a journal. Well, I think it's a journal called F on Healing. And you know, this podcast has kind of been like synchronicities for me as well as other things in my life. And recently I watched a video on mind hacking and Mm. the importance of journaling and you go through exercises and basically from what I've learned that the journaling helps you tap into layers of your subconscious and something about the act of writing with pen on, on paper helps you connect with those thoughts in the subconscious and bring them back up to your conscious to have it all connect, which actually causes healing to happen. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why on my trip writing by hand in that journal 
was so invaluable for me because so much can come up when you're just stream of consciousness writing as opposed to typing and, you know, deleting things. There's something to be said with putting a pen to paper and you're literally releasing physically releasing trauma from your body. Um, it allows so much more to then come to the surface. So when my readers and my community started saying, you know, we want a step-by-step healing guide, something that's going to really guide us through all of this stuff we've now realized in these two books. Um, I created the journal. It's called F off. I'm healing. Mm -hmm. And it, it has like excerpts and short stories in it as well, but it really, and it's not healing for heartbreak. It's healing from anything. There's like sections on grief. So if people um, have dealt with, you know, the loss of a loved one, there's a whole section on that. There's section with betrayal and of course, heartbreak and any type of healing that, that you'll have to do in this crazy life. And the reason why I I did it the way I laid it out is it's really like having someone hold your hand and walk you through the steps of what you should be doing. So all of the prompts are going to start you out with what you should be writing. And then there's space for your subconscious to start free flowing. Because so many times people are like journaling so great and they're like, okay. And they open up a journal and it's just blank. And you're like, well, what am I supposed to write? I don't know where to start. I need help. Um, So it really gives you a kind of like step-by-step guide to be like, okay, now think about this. And now what about this section? Um, And I think it's, it's been really incredible to, to get the feedback from people that have had these really big revelations from working through it. In one of your books, you talk about the love cocktail. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, this whole journey for me was like, got to find out how to love myself. Don't know how to love myself. That's the most important thing. Um, So I felt like I was on this quest to figure this out. And I can't say that it happened on my first Europe trip. It actually really clicked when I came back um, and had fallen into this depression that I needed to get myself out of, um, which is written about in the sequel. And the self-love cocktail is kind of my day-to-day answer of how you can love yourself. So it's really simple. You sit down and you make a list of things that you and you alone are capable of giving yourself every day that make you experience love, that make you feel good. Um, so many times we're we're thinking, okay, when I'm in a relationship in any sense, whether that's a mother-daughter or um, a family member or a significant other or any type of relationship, if you want that person to experience love, you do things that you know they feel love around that make them feel love. So when you're thinking about self-love, you have to turn that into yourself and give those things to yourself. So you sit down and you write a list of things that you don't need anyone else, just you can give yourself that you know will make you feel good, like that makes your soul set on fire. And you commit to giving yourself those things every single day. At first, it'll be like a stiffer cocktail, like a vodka martini. And you'll be like, I can only do two of these things. And that's totally enough. You just commit for however long doing one or two of those things. And then eventually you'll get a little more comfortable with it. And you'll be like, all right, I can like make this a better mixology cocktail and like throw in a couple different ingredients. And before you know it, you wake up weeks, months down the road and you're feeling so much better. And it's because you are actively giving your soul things that it loves. And it's so simple, but it completely changed my life and so many of my readers' lives because now self-love wasn't this mythical feeling that we were searching for. We weren't looking in the mirror, waiting to feel this like, I love you, Gabrielle, which if you can do that, more power to you. But I always felt crazy. Um, now it was a tangible thing of like, okay, um, the same way, you know, if you care for your kids, you have to like pack them a lunch, take them to school, pick them up. Those are things you're doing to show them love. And now you're going to have a list of things that you are going to do for yourself to give that love back to yourself. Um, and it's really become my answer for everything. Whenever I feel off or I'm feeling sad, I'm like, okay, what can I do? That's going to give myself some love because that becomes your priority. 
Why do you think that most people don't give themselves self-love? Is that due to guilt or they don't want to feel selfish? I think for me personally, and for a lot of people, it it doesn't click that it's an act that you have to do for yourself. Um, I think people assume that it's a feeling, um, which it can be, but you have to actively practice it to obtain that feeling. Um, and I think people don't realize that. And I also think that, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, well, you know, my spouse is more important or my kids are more important and everyone outside of myself it should be getting the love and attention before I give it to myself. And I'm all for loving your significant other and loving your family and loving everyone that's in your life. But if you're not filled up and you're not feeling that self-love, they're only getting a half version of you anyways. So it's really about looking at your life as a whole and being like, okay, how can I put myself first? How can I get myself to be the best I can be and be feeling like that love inside of me so that when I'm giving it to people around me, it's the best version of it. All right. Your first book is titled Eat, Pray, FML. I feel like you're a spiritual person and not religious, but how do you define your version of praying? Oh, that's a fun question. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, we grew, I grew up going to, um, a, a church of religious science, um, when I was young. So it was very like non-denominational. Anyone can come, um, very spiritual. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I've continued my, my relationship with, you know, people would say God, the universe, um, I believe we're all one. We're all energy. We all, um, you know, direct that energy. Um, so it's, I, I would say praying wouldn't be for me dropping to my knees, clasping my hands and, you know, praying to God. Although I have to say there's moments, especially during that, that time in my life where I was like, all right, dude, wherever you're at, like throw me a bone. Um, but I, I believe in a, in a higher power of the universe, but that we're all one with it. Um, so for me, the prey aspect of eat, pray FML is really going inside yourself and finding what's going to push you forward and how you're going to heal through all of it. Um, and really finding that strength within yourself um, to to carry you through the the dark, dark times. <laughs> On one of your TikTok videos, I saw a mention about twin flames. And yeah. I'm not sure what your definition is of that. So what is it? Oh, okay. So let me just start by saying I'm not an expert on this. I'm actually getting ready in a few weeks to record a podcast episode for my podcast, FML Talk, um, with a twin flame expert because the amount of people that have read this book and been like, oh, by the way, the guy that broke up with you before Europe, that's your twin flame, um, it's is crazy. So the way I understand twin flames is that it's you come to this this life as uh, one soul that splits into two. And if you happen to find each other in this life, it's very magnetic, very intense, sometimes toxic. Um, and it really goes from zero to 100, which is always how I described my relationship with Javier, who's the the man that I met after my husband. And then there comes a point where the the twin flame relationship it'll be like amazing 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 and then all of a sudden it's catastrophic mm. um whether that's he dumps you 48 hours before you're getting <laughs> on the plane or you know something crazy happens in the dynamic where you're forced to separate and then you're in what they call separation, which they talk about can be very painful. Um, and that there's the divine feminine on one side, the divine masculine on one side. Again, I'm not an expert on this. Um, and you are usually sent on this massive healing journey. Like it's a, it's a, a time in your life where you're ripped apart so that you guys can now go grow in massive ways. Um, 
Sometimes they say twin flames come back together and reunite at some point, um, not necessarily in a romantic way. Um, Sometimes you never do. And it's just for the healing lessons. The more deep dive I've done into um, the twin flame aspect, there's also something called karmic partners. Um, and it's the way it was explained to me was so interesting. It's almost like Europe, we're all up in heaven, the universe, whatever you want to call it, hanging out. And we're like, all right, this is the lesson that I'm going down to learn. Like I've signed up for this lesson and this is, this is what this life is going to be. And obviously you need characters in that story Mm -hmm. to help you get to that lesson. So we're all up there and everybody's like these awesome souls hanging out. And you're like, all right, who wants to be the person that does, you know, this for me and teaches me about love in my life? And they're like, ooh, ooh, me, I want to do that. And you're like, okay, who wants to be the person that cheats on me and uh, shows me that fear of abandonment? And they're like, I don't want to do it, but like, I'll, I'll be the, I'll be the one because I know you need to learn that lesson. And then you're like, okay, who wants to be the person that abandons me again before getting on a plane and breaks my heart? And they're like, I'll, I'll take that role. Cause I know that's going to like really change your life and send you on this, this path. So karmic partners are the, the people who we come in and we already have a contract with, like we might not know them when we as humans look at each other, but our souls before we even got here decided, okay, we're, we're coming in to learn this lesson and vice versa. So for the, the example with Javier and I, he came into my life. I experienced a different kind of love I had never known in this life. Um, I experienced heartbreak in a massive way for the first time. And that experience sent me on this journey. I mean, before all of that happened, I was working as an actress and thinking that that was going to be my career. I'm sitting here years, like three years later as a two-time best-selling author with a podcast, helping people all over the world. Like if you would have told me that that was my path, I would have been like, how am I going to get there? Mm-hmm. Um, it was completely meant to happen the way that it did. So the more that I look at it, I think that my relationship with him was more of a karmic partner um, where you come into each other's life to learn some massive lesson. Um, some people that read it, read the book, think that we are twin flames. I, I I don't have an opinion on it one way or another. I think it's more of the karmic and me for him as well. You know, like before he met me, um, he was in a pretty dark place, um, and was, was really struggling. And when I came into his life, that kind of shifted and turned around in a really big way. And he was then able to go on his own healing journey. So it makes sense on, on both sides when you have those karmic relationships that come in. Um, and it also, I think gives, gives a little bit of peace around it. It's, it doesn't mean that, Oh, this person is so malicious. They came into my life and just upheaved everything. It's like, no, there were contracts and like, you can see why it had to happen and it all, you know, ended up where it was supposed to. A lot of my near-death experiencers come back because they have a purpose. Sometimes they find out, probably most times they don't. You've been an award-winning actress and you're a best-selling author. Do you think your purpose is being an actress, an author, or both? I think my purpose as me, Gabrielle, at 33 years old was to write these books. Um I have, and, and I felt that the moment I found out I was going on the trip by myself, I was not a writer. I had written a short screenplay that had, you know, been made into a film and done, it did very well, but that's vastly different than writing a book. Um, I could, you know, really get away with writing good essays in, in school, but I was not, I was not a writer by any means. Um, and I knew when I got broken up with that second time, I was like, I'm going to write a book about it. And it's going to change a lot of people's lives. Like I, I knew in that moment, um, the fact that I wrote the first one over the span of three months and it was completed, um, to me is a testament of that, that it really was like channeled through me. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I can tell you with writing the second one, it took a lot longer. <laughs> um, 
But it's so interesting. I'm curious if my mom talked to you at all about my dad's near-death experience. No. Oh, goody. No, That's going to be a fun story. Um, great. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. Yeah. So a um, little bit of context. My dad um, passed away when I was six years old, almost seven. My mom was in New Zealand shooting a film called The Frighteners with Peter Jackson. So she was all the way across the world. I was at home with my dad and my nanny who, you know, she lived with us. She was like my sister. Um, and I woke up one Saturday and like raced into his room to go wake him up for morning cartoons. And he wasn't in his room. So I went into the bathroom and I found him lying face down on the floor. And for my six-year-old little brain, I was like, oh, daddy passed out. So I ran to go tell my nanny and she rushed in. Obviously, he had had a heart attack and was no longer there. Um, so it was a very traumatic thing to witness and go through at such a young age. Um, and of course, my mom then had to get on the next plane home and fly back and came home, did, our, did his celebration of life, picked me up took my nanny and I went back to New Zealand a week later and finished the film. And it was like the first real example for me of what, how to act and what to do when like your life explodes in front of your face, which would later serve me very well in my later years in life. Um, but so before all this, before I was born, um, my dad had a brain aneurysm and he was on the floor uh, at his apartment for, God, I want to say it was like 48 hours, some very long stint of time to where he should not have survived before they, uh, someone found him. And he went to the hospital. It should have killed him. Aneurysms are normally like the survival rate from them is not great. And he described the story being on the table and he was up in the corner of the room and he like could look down and he saw his body and he saw the doctors working on him and he like turned away uh, from his body. And there was like the most beautiful, warm feeling light. And he was like, I wanted to go so bad. Like it, it felt so safe. It felt like I was home. I wanted to go. And then I had this thought of, I feel like there's something I still have to do. And the second he had that thought, bam, he was in his body and woke up on the table. Yeah. Um, my mom will tell you that like he had to come back to meet her to birth me. That was the thing that had, not to take all the credit. Um, but it, it it's, it's a, a testament to, you know, having that thought of, Oh, there's something I haven't completed yet before I can go to this place I really want to go to, um, and, and waking up in your body. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I don't know if I, I really don't want to go negative, but. Oh, that's okay. What, <laughs> what do you think are signs that your spouse is cheating? Oh God. You know, it's so funny because I, I so often get asked, well, there had to be signs, you know, mm -hmm. didn't you see the signs? Mm -hmm. Um, when I was in it, no. Um, I mean, there were signs looking back on it in hindsight. I was like, oh my God, how did I not put this together? Um, and there was signs of like red flags in the relationship for sure. Um, you know, I was working as an actress when he met me and he was never okay with my career. When I was on set, it was like the world was ending. He didn't trust me. It, you know, if I had a kissing scene, forget about it. It was like calling, crying, like just miserable, um, which is so it created this like weird feeling in my career of like, yes, I'm like taking these like leaps and booking these jobs and like doing like what people are dreaming to do. And I'm miserable and crying on the phone every night to like my, my person who's not supporting me. Um, so there were red flags like that, that I always convinced myself, well, we'll go to therapy and we'll work through it. And like, you know, it's not a normal career. Like, of course, you know, there's going to be some hiccups. Um, but looking back on it, knowing where his, uh, 
trajectory in life has gone. Um, there's more subtle red flags that I didn't recognize at the time that are really scary now. Um, and that those are like, you know, him saying, well, I'll pay for everything if you stop acting and you just want to be like a stay at home wife. And at the time I was like, that's so weird and icky that you would even suggest that. But now looking back on it, it's like, oh, that was him trying to financially control me. Um, and to, to take my kind of like money lifelines away, um, or suggesting I get a boob job or you should dye your hair blonder, you know, stuff that was like him trying to mold me and make me into his ideal of someone, which is so toxic and not okay. Um, but as far as the signs of like, I can look back and be like, this was a clear sign that he was cheating. Um, it was usually the excuses of where he, like why he couldn't show up places. Um, so I was, you know, at my, my career was going up and I was winning these awards for this, um, the film that I had directed and starred in. And it was like this huge time for me professionally. And every time I had one of the ceremonies, it was like, oh, I can't come because I have a work commitment or, oh, I can't come because of this. And when I started to finally find all the receipts, looking at the dates lineup, it was like, oh, okay. So no, you didn't have a work commitment. You were with your affair partner at a hotel, Um, stuff like that. And really shady business with the phone, which I know is a big thing for so many women predominantly, but I'm sure men go through it too. Um, when, you know, we're talking about trust in a relationship, there, there's so much focus on the phone and like being sneaky in that sense. Um, and there was, there was a lot of that. And I unfortunately trusted him to a fault, um, and never felt the need to look through his phone until, we started getting towards the end and my intuition started kicking in. Your second book is called The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl. Where did you go and what did you do? <laughs> Where did I go? Everywhere. Um, so a lot of the ridiculous misadventures are not necessarily places, um, but different people and different crazy experiences that were happening in my life. Um, as I mentioned before, it spans over two years. Um, so it goes from when I get back from Europe all the way to, you know, the two years of my life. Um, I do take a, another solo trip in that book and it's to Southeast Asia. I went to Vietnam, Thailand, and Bali, and it was a solo trip by choice this time. Um, the first one kind of happened to me. This was very much so because I, I fell in love with what that solo trip brought me. Um, and it, you know, the, the solo trip in eat, pray FML really gave me the biggest gift in my fear of abandonment. And that was knowing that I'm never truly abandoned because I will never abandon myself. And that was a huge revelation on my healing journey. And solo travel was what gave me that. So I'm a huge advocate of even if you're scared, like book a solo trip, it is life-changing. It will do wonders for you as a human and your soul. Um, so I did that big second solo trip in in the second book. Um, and it's really, the, the second book was a lot harder for me to write um, because there are things in it that I'm not necessarily proud of. And I was really going through the, the depths of my healing journey and that sometimes affected other people that were in my life. Um, the man I'm with now, my, the, my fiance and I, who just, we just got engaged in, uh, in Italy on the trip that we were just on a few months ago. Um, he is a character in the second book. So our journey and, you know, some of the back and forth and the crazy hoops we had to jump through to get to where we are today in such a wonderful, healthy relationship wasn't always like that because he came into my life when I was not okay after all, everything I had gone through. Um, so the second one was a lot harder for me to write. Um, and it, it kind of healed me in a different way. Um, having to open up all these own 
oh, uh, these old wounds and like take a look inside of myself and be like, okay, it's time to like look in the mirror and be like, this is stuff you have to take responsibility for that like you're not necessarily stoked on. I was thinking about this, but then I wasn't sure to ask this question. And then you said that you wrote the book in three months and you felt like you channeled it. Yeah. And I was going to ask, have you heard of automatic writing? Oh, I have not. What is that? Well, I'm not an expert in it. And so it's hard for me to explain, but it's basically like channeling while you're writing. It's like you're in, you're in connection with your higher self and Mm. it's almost like you just put the pen to paper and you just start writing almost without even thinking. Mm. So that's how I feel the journal happened. Um, I go back and because I have a, a book club that we go through different stuff and they, I zoom with them on Tuesdays. It's part of, part of my Patreon subscription. Um, and we did, we did a, a workshop where we worked through the journal and I would read some of those passages and I'm like, who wrote this? Yeah. Like, I have no recollection of writing this. Um, and it's really good. So pat myself on the back. Um, but that I do really feel that that just came through. Cause I, I wrote that like entire journal on the plane, like a five hour plane ride was just mm-hmm. like, do, 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 do. um, so I do feel that that was was definitely in line with that. I think Eat Pray FML was kind of a mixture. It was it was therapy for me. So I was like every time I would write about what I was going through and like the experience of wherever I was, it felt like it kind of like released that and closed that chapter, if you will. Um but there are moments in that book and in that writing process where I do feel, I remember writing it all, but I do feel like the, not like what I was going through, but how I reflected on it and like the lessons that come from that was definitely like a higher self coming through. Since you grew up with a family of actors, did you always know that acting would be, you know, your self career or was that the course of your life to join the family business? I think I always said that when I was growing up, I was like, Oh, I'll just, I'm going to be an actress like mom. Um, not knowing what a grueling profession that is and that it's not so easy to just decide you're going to do. Um, I grew up dancing and playing sports. Like I, I kind of didn't get into acting until later in life. Um, I still have a passion for it. I, I do love it. And I think I think if I had to lean one way or the other, directing is more where I'm called to, um, which is something that my dad did a lot. My dad wrote and directed. Um, And it's interesting because the things that I like about acting, the, the performance aspect of it and getting to kind of create characters, I've found that in you know, the podcast, the performance aspect of it, doing, doing the show and the character aspect like has really come through in being able to do the writing. Um, so it's interesting. I feel like it learning how to be vulnerable as an actress, I feel really served me when I decided to write these books because I knew that if I was going to write them and if they were going to resonate with people and help people the way I knew they could, it had to be like 100% vulnerable. Like there couldn't be anything held back. So I think that getting comfortable doing that acting really served me when I ended up transitioning to writing. It appears, at least from my end, that the majority of children of actors do not go into acting. Why is that? I don't know. I think probably because the parents are like, please just pick a different career. This isn't easy. Like it's, you know, not going to be great. Um, and you know, there's, there's light and dark sides of every career. Um, but it's grueling and there's a lot of no's and you know, it can affect self-esteem a lot. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think that would be the reason that I, I would say, but 
I'm sure each person's different and each family is different. Um, cause there are, you know, there are kids of, of people in the industry that do follow in their footsteps. Um, like we have a lot of, of people that are, are better known actors of today. Their parents were, were in the industry as well. So I think it's just dependent on the the family and how the dynamic is. My, my parents worked really hard to keep our household normal. Um, although what's normal, mm-hmm. uh, but if anyone, if either of them took a job, the other wouldn't take a job at the same time, which is really hard to do in an industry where you kind of like got to take it as they come. Um, if someone was working for more than a week, then the whole family went to go visit, you know? So it, they worked really hard to make sure that it didn't affect our family unit. So where do you see your future going? Are you going to continue writing? Are going to go back to acting or do a combination of both? I think it'll be a little of everything. Um, I'm set to direct a feature film um, later, either later this year or early next year, depending on when they get the cast all set, um, which I'm really excited about getting back behind the camera. I'm always open to to jumping back in front and acting. Um, there's always a joy in that for me. Um, my readers constantly are saying, give us book three, give us book three, but like, I got to live a little more life before I can do that. Um, but you know, whenever the writing inspo comes, I will most certainly be following that. Um, and you know, I would love to see the, the first two books and that story on screen in some capacity. So I think that's the, uh, the next thing that we're, we're going to put our focus towards, but I'm, I'm learning begrudgingly, um, that I kind of just have to let go and be open, um, and let the universe bring in what's going to be next. Um, because the more I try and hustle and control and make stuff happen, the more I'm met with like, you just need to chill and let go, which is like so hard for me to do. Um, so I'm really working on just being in the moment and allowing myself to, take the uh, the opportunities as they come. Do you have anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? Right now, I am in, enjoying the the fruits of the labor of the two books and the the healing journal um and the podcast I I release every Wednesday and that's become a really awesome space for people to heal in a uh a safe, fun, you know, with some F-bombs here and there way. Um, And I've really loved being able to create that community for people. Um, I get messages so often like this podcast is better than therapy. And I'm so grateful that I'm able to provide a space for people like that. Um, But yeah, as of now, like those are the, those are the things that I am happy for everybody to know about. So if people want to find out about your books, your podcast, I think you might even have a YouTube channel. I do. We have we have the YouTube channel where we air the the podcasts visually as well. So is the best place to find that like all on one hub like your website? Yeah, you guys can go to eatprayfml.com. You can probably hear my dog who just woke up <laughs> at the perfect time. Um, so eatprayfml.com. You can find links to go buy the books. You can get signed copies from me. The journal's on there as well. Um, we have all the merch that we sell from the podcast and there's links to find the podcast as well. So everything's kind of in that uh, that one place. All right, Gabrielle. Well, before we finish up, Can you leave us with one last positive message? Yes. Um, No matter how dark everything may seem or what you're going through, I promise you there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it is more beautiful than you could ever imagine. So just keep going. Thank you for that message. And Gabrielle, thank you again for being my guest. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it.